Open your Bibles to Esther chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Esther 3, 7 through 15. That's where our story will continue. If you're visiting this morning, we uh, look at books of the Bible here at the Mill Church. We're a Christian church. We love the Bible, so we simply read and then we talk about it. We read and then we talk about it. It's really a simple format, um, and that's what we do on Sunday mornings in addition to praying together and giving and singing and other elements, taking communion once a month and and so forth, and and so on. So in chapter 3, verse 7, we'll have it on the screen. For those of you who don't have your Bibles along, this is what we read. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, any Nisan drivers in the room? Shout out to all the Nisan drivers. We have one, only one in the second service. A couple in the first service. You might consider coming to the first service there. Tracy and being among your people, okay? <laughs> Just think about that. So, which is the month of Nisan in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus. We talked about King Ahasuerus being the, the Greek name uh, for the Persian king Xerxes. Xerxes. Note these uh, facts right away. I think it's important to remember that the Bible is not uh, merely... It does have some philosophical, subjective thoughts, but it's not altogether philosophical. In fact, the majority of it is real people, real places, real events that are verifiable by outside uh, of the church, secular authors. I think it's pretty awesome to know that there's veracity or truthfulness in this book that we read in the mornings and in the evenings, and that being that it's the Word of God. So is it going to be inerrant? Is it going to be authoritative? Is it going to be helpful for us? Are the facts going to be accurate? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So we've got some facts. That's a good thing for us to consider. It's not speculative stuff. It's real uh, happenings. They cast her, that is, they cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month until the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. So we don't need to uh, to guess as to what's going here on here. These uh, lots that they're casting, this is a form of divination. It's a form of fortune. Telling. It's a form of soothsaying. It's a form of clairvoyance. I tried to use as many words at the thesaurus as I could this morning so you would get what's happening here. Um, these men, like Haman, uh, who we talked about last week, they're worshiping gods apart from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not Jewish. They're in a pagan nation. So they're very spiritual people. And might I remind you that vague, subjective spirituality is a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. To just open yourself up, in other words, to the spiritual realm is a, a 
bad pursuit. It's going to go all kinds of ways that you don't anticipate. They're, they're casting lots. They're asking spirits to participate and guide them. They're asking demons to roll the dice to help them decide on a plan to destroy God's people, to commit genocide. That's what these guys are doing. If you're visiting with us for the first time or you've missed the last few weeks or one of the last few weeks, Esther is the name of the new queen who has been chosen by King Xerxes to replace the former queen whose name was Queen Vashti. Yes, and Vashti at one of the largest parties in human history, an open bar for some 50,000 people. She refused to walk the runway. That is to say that she did not allow the king to show her off in front of 50,000 drunk men. She said, no, thank you. I'm not going to be objectified and good for her. Amen. Amen. It's a good decision, but the pride of the king would not allow for her tolerance. So he divorces her And then he begins a process that we've called here the Bachelor Persia edition in which he starts a a, a game show full of multiple contestants, young virgins, and he's seeking for the perfect match for himself, uh, the next queen. And he looks at their appearance and he invites them on multiple evenings uh, into his chamber in his bedroom. Fortunately and unfortunately, who wins? Esther does. Fortunately, because she's now the queen. Unfortunately, due to the route that she took to get there and the likelihood that she's still sharing her husband on a nightly basis with other women, teenagers. Throughout the process... Her first cousin, Mordecai, who is a public figure, he's kind of keeping notes. He's kind of keeping tabs on her from a distance. He's not active. He's not engaged. He's not the dad that's going to take the cell phone and read text messages and look at Internet activity, which we should be. Hello, dads. We need to keep tabs on these things as fathers. He's just trusting. He's just sending her off on dates. He, he, he took over responsibility of raising her up. Her parents died, and he's just a public figure, a politician. He's moving along by the city gate. He's a socialite. He's in the know. And because he's in the know, so in the know, that in chapter 2, he catches wind of an assassination plot to kill King Xerxes, one of the most prolific kings of all time. And he gets the message to King Xerxes. He decides it's the right thing to do to let him know. So he gets the message to him the most efficient way possible. Do you know what the most efficient way is to communicate anything to any man? You tell his wife. And that's exactly what he did. He went to Esther and said, first cousin, Esther, please tell the king that someone's out for his life. But Mordecai, who saves the king's life, is not initially, at least, rewarded. 
Instead, some five years later, a man named Haman, Haman the Agagite, is promoted this significant, lofty position, so lofty that they give him a mini throne to sit on underneath in deference to Xerxes' big throne. And everybody bows down to Haman because this is the culturally appropriate, not spiritually appropriate thing to do. It's not like Daniel and the, and the Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, but it was just a sign of respect in Mordecai refused to bow. And this made Haman loathe him. The man's pride, Haman, could not handle one single defector. He wanted to be the boss of everybody. Instead of having a conversation with Mordecai, instead of going about it in a peacemaking way, just like King Herod would do later with babies, and just like Adolf Hitler would do later, and just like Robert Bowers would do if he had the power. This is the nut who just yesterday slayed 11 Jews in a synagogue in Pennsylvania. Haman ordered genocide. The killing of all of the Jewish people. And so now, if you could even fathom this, men are gathered around asking demons to guide the dice that they're throwing to make decisions on how to kill God's people. And church, might I remind you that Satan is always in the discussions on how to kill and harm and plot against God's people. He's always there. He's always part of it. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy our church. And if you don't take a script, he's going to give it to somebody else. But it's the same script. And so he's involved. Haman, he's no victim. Don't get me wrong. He's, he's a very bad dude but he's empowered by and influenced by the demonic. It is not enough, church family, to be spiritual generally. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that our language ought to be about no one other than Jesus Christ. If it's not from Christ and for Christ and through Christ, and to Christ, we condemn it. It's all about Jesus. There is no subjectivity. Crucified, buried, risen, Lord and Savior, seated at the right hand of the Father, intervening on behalf of the saints. Amen? That is the faith. And so, Verse 8, Haman then said to King Ahasuerus, There's a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces in your kingdom. Their laws are different than those of every other people, and they do not keep the king's laws, so that it is not to the king's profit. Notice he appeals to monetary addiction to tolerate them. 
In other words, King Xerxes, there's, there's a big problem. It's everywhere in the kingdom. Let me tell you about this people called the Jews. Their laws are different than ours, and they have this thing that's called the scriptures, and they don't keep your laws, O king. They follow those laws. In fact, they're kind of like Queen Vashti, king, if you think about it. She says yes sometimes, but she says no at others. You really ought to deal with them, king, before they embarrass you in front of your empire. If it pleases the king, verse 9, let it be decreed that they destroy, that they be destroyed. And I will pay, Haman says, 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who've charge of the king's business, that they may put it into the king's treasuries. Let me ask you this. Does the king need money in his treasury? No. So the king took his signet ring from his hand. Now, mine's being worn on my right today and and for the past month or so because I'm having a few issues with my left hand um, muscles and and things. But he, he takes it. This is his power of attorney, basically. And he gives it to Haman the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, verse 10 says. Verse 11, and the king said to Haman, the money is given to you, the people also do with them, Haman, as it seems good to you, says King Xerxes. Now here's just a couple practical things from what we just read. Um, Haman told the story in a way that benefited him. Remember, if we look at this like all these people, Haman, Xerxes, they're evil, we will not profit in any way from this reading, from this text. We have to say, how are they like us? How do you tell the story in such a way that benefits you? Do you put a spin on things with your boss? Do you put a spin on things with your spouse? Do you spin things a bit with your kids? Proverbs 18, 17 is is helpful. Everyone seems right until the other side is heard. And you know what? Our little toddlers know this. They've never read it, but they know it. Because one of them will hit the other one. This happened yesterday all day long in my house. And the other one would start crying And the first one, who's usually Miles, who hit the other one, will run up to me and say, Daddy, and put a spin on his side of the story so that Nora or Levi seems like the bad guy. This will play into something I'm going to tell you later, which is that we are fundamentally bad. That's what the gospel teaches. We are not fundamentally good. You don't have to teach a kid to do bad. They just are. You got to teach them. You got to work hard to get them to be what? Good. Yeah. So here's what Haman does. He runs to Xerxes. King Xerxes, let me explain to you exactly uh, what's happening here. There's these people and they're called the Jews and they have a book of scripture and they obey laws that they say are from God and they, they think that their God is bigger than your God, Xerxes. But I'm here, O king, to fix this problem. So let me volunteer me. And if you'll just let me destroy them and pillage them and plunder them and take all their money 
and take the fillings out of their teeth. I'll melt them down. It'll be a 50-50 split between you and me, O king. This is a massive economic opportunity if you'll just listen at what I'm positing. A lot of spin on that recommendation. How many people are causing an issue with Haman? It's one guy. This isn't a nation. This is one human being. Haman has blown one man's revolt into that of the entire nation. So again, the practical piece is, do you spin your own stories in a way that benefit you? I don't know about you, but the people of God ought to be people that pay attention and that say minute facts correctly, that don't mislead, that don't misrepresent, that put everything forth in a truthful and clear way. Amen? Don't twist stuff. If it incriminates yourself, incriminate yourself. But tell the truth to the glory of God. So if I might just pause and pray, Lord, I just pray you would help us to be truth tellers as a church family. I just pray, God, that dishonesty would never be on our lips, Lord, that we would be forthcoming and clear in all of our communications. And I pray that as I'm praying, if people are thinking and cognizant and mindful of lies that they've told, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them to be bold and to fix it, to tell the person that they've lied to. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Xerxes, let's look at it from his perspective. He, had he seen it through, he'd have been more like Solomon in his leadership style. He didn't do his homework. He didn't listen to both kids, so to speak. He listened to Haman. He didn't appeal to the other side. He didn't investigate. He didn't arrange a hearing. He took partial information and misinformation. And with partial and misinformation, he made a decision. How many of you would say that's bad leadership? That's not good. So what we have to learn from Xerxes is that we cannot take partial and misinformation and make a decision with it. We can't do that. All leaders need to make sure that, that, that we, even unknowingly or innocently, don't affect a lot of people beneath us by bad decisions. Xerxes doesn't know these people. Xerxes doesn't love these people. Xerxes only gets reports on these people. And here's the truth. Leaders get into real trouble when we only deal with reports of people and not real people. If you're a boss, might I could just encourage you to get down on the bottom rung of your place of work and spend time with the people that you've been charged by God to lead, invest in them, ask them how their family is going, ask them if they feel supported, ask them if they have your encouragement. What's going to happen next? Haman the Agagite is frothing at the mouth to get his hands on some juice. 
And Xerxes has just given him all the power of the kingdom. This is what we read. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the first month in an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps, governors over the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, every people its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Because Xerxes, what he says is inerrant, right? This is what people presume. Because what Xerxes says is infallible, or, or so they think. So the scribes are sitting there just, just copying and copying and, and translating, the interpreters are. Just like we do with the Bible, and they create, we mentioned this in the introduction, the world's first postal system to issue this decree. Now, I am the son of a former UPS man. 22 years my dad spent with the Browns. So something in me just kind of irks a little bit when I hear about the USPS or FedEx, okay? I'm, I'm a brown guy. It's just I wore my dad's jackets occasionally when I was cold. I saw him in those shorts. You know what I'm talking about? Ugh. You know what I mean? But that's my childhood, seeing dad come home in his Browns, okay? This is the world's first postal service. And if you are a USPS guy, you will recognize this Persian motto as your own today. Neither sun nor rain, nor heat nor gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. It sounds wonderful until you realize, and most people at the USPS probably don't, that it was the propagandizement of genocide. It was the proliferation of murder. And out goes the decree. Kill all of God's people. There's no miracle. There's no angel intervention. There's no speaking prophet. There is nothing. And the stamps get applied and it hits the boxes. Verse 13. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, kill, annihilate all Jews, young and old women and children. This is heavy, heavy, heavy language if we stop and really look at it. Destroy. Kill. Annihilate. We might insert all the little girls with pigtails and the boys on tricycles and grandmas who are bedridden, and grandpas who have lost their hearing to the point that with their back turned, they don't hear the door cave in while they're eating their breakfast. Everybody's going to die. This is satanic. This is demonic. I hope you would agree that God brings life. But this is his MO. Satan brings what? Death. This is unmasked evil. And all it took, all it took was one man's unrepentant pride. Women and children in one 
day. We didn't look at that at the first service. One day. Xerxes had the largest army in ancient history. Herodotus, the, the Greek historian, says it was at least a few hundred thousand, maybe even a few million soldiers. And this is the decree that comes to commanders and generals. Grab your weapons. Go find babies, little girls, little boys, pregnant women, people with arthritis, dementia, whoever you can find that's a Jew, and slaughter them all. People are not, by nature, good. If we are unattached to the grace of God, this is what humanity devolves to. The 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods, That's how he's going to pay off Xerxes, by plundering the people, taking all their stuff, giving a percentage of it to the king. Verse 14. A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. What's worse is that it was what? It was announced. It was sent out to the people before the guys with weapons showed up. Can you imagine the sheer terror if you get a memo or a mailer that in hours an army, the likes of which the world to this point had never seen, is going to be heard in the distance coming across your neighbor's acreage, coming through your city, your village. The couriers went out and hurriedly by the order of the king and the decree was issued in Susa, the city, and the king and Haman sat down to what? To have a drink. Haman and Xerxes pre-genocide did what some people do pre-golf round. Did what some people do post business deal. They haven't even considered the implications and they raise their, gra- their glass and say, What a great day, buddy. We're really going to make some money today. We're going to destroy families. We're going to wipe out a people group in our empire, but we're going to be filthy rich. Let's drink to that. There's nothing wrong, I've said this a number of times here, making money is morally neutral in the scriptures. It can be used for good or it can be used for what? For evil. Verse 15, but the city was thrown into confusion. What this means, it's the last verse in the chapter, is that citizens heard and some who were not Jewish revolted. They revolted. And they're like, wait a minute, we love these people. These Jews, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, they're good citizens. And church, we ought to live in such a way that when, if persecution arises of the church, that those who are not Christians in Stratford, in Marshfield, in Edgar, in Marathon, in Rib Mountain, wherever you're from, Roselleville, that they would say, wait a minute, they love this city. They've served us. They've raised money. 
in fundraising opportunities for the Heritage Trail. They've raked our leaves on our lawn. They, they've given us a turkey at Thanksgiving for the last nine years. I changed my baby in their diaper changing station at the Edgar Steam Show. My daughter and I danced at their snowflake ball. My FFA student got to, to gain farming experience on their property on, on 97. And they served me at the soup kitchen at Vinny's. And they plumbed my sink. And they fixed my stairs. And they brought me a meal when I had a surgery. They foster children. They collected toys for my tot. My kid didn't have snow pants and they gave him a pair. They donated to my VFW pulled pork sandwich sale. When they realized that, that they'd accidentally on the same day scheduled a pulled pork sandwich sale. They helped me with rental assistance. When I was in a pinch, they caroled at my assisted living facility. They were present at my honor flight reception. They gave us a community center and an Eiffel Tower replica. Don't kill the people of the Mill Church. They care about everybody. May we live in such a way that people who don't agree with us or worship the same God as us come to our defense. Amen? Because we don't just love Christians, we love pagans. Amen? Jesus didn't come to die for Christians. You know that, right? He came to die for the lost. We'll find out what happens as the story continues. But here's what I want to share with you in conclusion. I'm going to try to rifle through these quickly. There are a number of things that should not have happened thus far in this story in Esther. It is not true. Please concede this. Please get it out of your language. Dislike the phrase. It is not true that all things happen for a what? reason. Not true, complete hogwash. Here are some examples of some things that don't happen for a reason in this story. God does not author it. He does not orchestrate it. One, God's people never should have been exiled to begin with. They were exiled. They were taken to Babylon as discipline because the great, 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 however many back we go, grandparents of Esther and Mordecai rebelled against God. They were disobedient. They were entirely sinful. Mordecai and Esther should have been born in Jerusalem, not Babylon. Two, once the captives were freed from Babylon by Cyrus and, and told by the prophet Isaiah, go home now. Nehemiah took off. Esther and Mordecai should have been a part of that caravan. 
They should have obeyed. They should have left. That didn't happen for a reason. They stayed against the will of God. Three, the death of Esther's parents didn't happen for a reason. It was tragic. The death of anybody's parents or the absence of anybody's parents due to a foster care scenario or an adoptive scenario is, is terrible. God didn't author that. It shouldn't have happened. Four, Esther and Mordecai should have been walking faithfully with God, but thus far they haven't prayed that we've seen, read scripture, given generously, offered sacrifices, maintained their sexual purity. Nothing. That didn't happen for a reason. Five, Esther and Mordecai shouldn't have concealed their faith. Had Esther been forthcoming about her faith, the king's signet ring wouldn't have gone down on the job because he wouldn't have wanted to kill who? His own wife, the queen. Number six, Xerxes shouldn't have divorced his wife to begin with. Vashti, he didn't have biblical grounds. He wanted to parade her in front of a bunch of troops. And she said, no, I don't deserve this. And he should have apologized. That's what should have happened. That didn't happen for a reason. Seven, Xerxes shouldn't have turned the palace into the Playboy Mansion. That did not happen for a reason. Never should have happened to begin with. Eight, Mordecai shouldn't have allowed Esther to compete in the pageantry. He's her, for all intents and purposes, parent. And that's where he sends her. He let her go. He didn't do that for a reason. Nine, Esther should not have lost her virginity to a pagan Gentile 15 to 20 years older than her. That didn't happen for a reason. This man mistreats women and has a harem. That's not what God intended for Esther. Ten, Esther should not be the queen of Persia. We'll even take it that far. She shouldn't be, but God chose to bring good out of her mess. That's what happens in all of these scenarios. Eleven, Mordecai saved the king's life. He should not have been overlooked. He wasn't promoted. He wasn't revered. He wasn't respected in the community square. Twelve, Mordecai probably should have bowed to Haman out of respect. It was cultural in the day. It wasn't a spiritual thing. He didn't. Thirteen, Haman never should have been born. Haman never should have been born. Something that we, we won't find in the, in the story was that King Saul was instructed to destroy. His name is Haman the Agagite. King Saul, many, many years earlier, was instructed to destroy all of the what? The Agagites. And Saul, in, in what some might call partial obedience, what, what God would call disobedience, didn't take him literally, he took him figuratively, and he destroyed most. In fact, he destroyed everybody but the king. And the king lived on. And the king produced babies. And eventually, out came Haman. So Mordecai and Esther's great, 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 great grandpa had a chance to end the life of the great, 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 great grandpa of 
Haman and didn't do so. Haman never should have been born. He wasn't born for a reason. He was born out of disobedience. Haman should have not should have taken the, his wrath out against not the Jewish people, but against who? Mordecai only. What he did was racism. That didn't happen for a reason. Last one, 15. Xerxes shouldn't have given his ring away, authorizing genocide without checking the facts and listening to both sides of the story. It is all jacked up, this story. Esther is a story of people making mistakes all over the place. And if we're humble, we'll follow that with this. Kind of like, well, kind of like us. It's kind of like our lives. I shouldn't have slept with him. I shouldn't have resigned that job. I shouldn't have started smoking that. I shouldn't have bought the first lottery ticket. I shouldn't have taken the first drink. I shouldn't have started gossiping. I shouldn't have made that investment. And there's all these what ifs and there's all these how comes and life can be messy. And to make matters worse, the atheists and agnostics chime in and say, see, aha, there's no God. Look at your life. He's not showing up. He's not present. If you were real, he'd have done something. Isn't that obvious? Not everything is a part of God's plan. Not everything happens for a reason. Not everything is God's will, but sometimes you get the end of my sermons and you're just waiting on the but, right? But Everything is used for God's will. That is the chief difference. Not everything is God's will, but everything can be used for it. And I want to leave you with this glimmer of hope. Haman's decree was set forth, this is so cool, on the eve of of Passover, we read that, an annual Jewish feast that commemorated freedom from another king who was worshipped like a god, his name was Pharaoh, and who abused God's people, just like Xerxes. And in both stories, God's people are away from home because of their sin. And Haman, I'm saying, is not the first one to try to destroy God's people. God delivered his people from the Exodus, or rather in the Exodus, and he'll deliver them from Persia. We will read if you'll tune in and come back and hear the rest of the story. Just wait and see. Let's pray. Lord, your word points to one hero. The similarities are striking. Mordecai and Esther, cousins. You and John the Baptist, cousins. Working together. Unlike King Xerxes, who tried to destroy a race. You, Jesus, 
surrendered your life for all races. Lord, you're willing to save us if we'll confess our sins and turn to you for salvation. Lord, I pray that we would listen to your voice ever so subtly calling to us, asking us to change, asking us to serve you, asking us to end lording over our own lives and to institute you as Lord. You care more about us than we ever could about ourselves. You know better. You love us. You're not a killjoy. You want our joy every day of the week, 24-7. And Lord, we treasure you, those of us here who are Christians, and we know you're inviting others to do the same. We're so thankful for your work in Esther's story and into our messy lives. Complete it, Lord. Change us. Purify us. Sober us. In Jesus' name, amen.